0: Building security teams is not an easy thing to do, as you know, and we're always competing for talent with a whole bunch of other companies. So what can you do to like really differentiate yourself, right? So one of the things that I learned is you can actually go looking for talent outside of the normal pools of talent that people look for. Welcome to Cloud Security Reinvented, a podcast for security leaders with a focus on the cloud. Learn best practices from fellow security professionals and how they've seen security evolve across their career. Cloud Security Reinvented.
1: Good morning, or depending on when you are in the world, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Welcome to Cloud Security Reinvented. I'm your host, Andy Ellis. I'm here today with Kathy Wang, CISO of Discord. Glad to have you on.
0: Thank you, Andy. I'm very happy to be here.
1: Thank you. I really do appreciate you coming. Your your company, Discord, provides a communication service and pulling off the website, you're on a mission to create space for everyone to find belonging. I love that statement. How does your role as CISO help to meet that?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, Discord is definitely the number one communication platform for Gen Z, and it's getting more popular with the other age groups as well. 80% of our users are outside of the U.S., so it's quite Mm -hmm. a global group of users. And the CISO role here, you know, we're very focused on user privacy. We want Mm -hmm. to make sure that the users that use Discord are, you know, their data is staying private. So our security team is focused on making sure we raise the bar on security and incrementally improve on all the processes and tooling here so that we can serve our users.
1: I love that. And I will say as a member of Gen X, I am a happy Discord user as well. I think I've used just about every communication service out there. And I will say Discord is very far from the bottom. That's one of my top two favorite platforms. That's I'll awesome. be nice, And I won't name the other one. So you have some questions about cloud security. How is cloud security in your industry different from what others would expect looking at it from the outside?
0: Yeah. So when you ask that question, I really kind of have to think about it from a B2B versus B2C kind of perspective. Discord is a B2C company, and we have millions, even billions of users at this point. So When you think about cloud security there, we're thinking about a third-party risk, right? Being a SaaS company, all of our products that we use are on other people's infrastructure, right? Being served from there. So we want to make sure that we do the right due diligence for all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from a SaaS perspective, you know, we really have to think about the public cloud infrastructure and all of the services there. Discord platform is on Google Cloud. So there's a number of security services there that we can utilize to help raise the bar on security. And even from an infrastructure standpoint, do better with availability for our users.
1: So is the vast majority of Discord services are all built on the cloud? Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. Uh So I think that's something that probably is surprising. I think, you know, in the early days of communication services, it was sort of big data centers trying to move this data around, Uh, you know, for you, you know, you've been in security for a very long time. Have you seen the world change for security as cloud has sort of shifted from this nice to have, you know, it was this luxury, or maybe this toy people played with, you know, decade ago or 15 years, and now it's basically become the default model, like, so how has that changed how you approach security?
0: Yeah, so for me, the change is especially stark because I spent the first half of my security career in federal environments, Mm -hmm. right? So we're talking environments that are classified or, you know, very much on-prem. And then I transitioned to commercial companies where SaaS is more of the focus and using public cloud infrastructure. So that in itself was a really large Mm -hmm. transition And then we start seeing, because of the growth of SaaS companies over the last five to seven years, a lot of demand for compliance and compliance-related automation. Mm -hmm. So whenever you're buying a product that is hosted on on SaaS infrastructure, you always ask for what? Like a SOC 2 report, right? So not saying that SOC 2 is the end-all be-all for security. However, it's very popular because of these types of expectations. And then we start looking at how do we get better visibility on public cloud infrastructure. So this is where a lot of like CSPM type Mm -hmm. products come in. We're not using necessarily old school scanners anymore that are more on-prem and built for that type of environment. We're looking at services that can discover or give you greater visibility in public cloud infrastructure and perhaps even identify assets that are not active. And how many days has it not been active? And also containers and microservices. So it is really fascinating watching the evolution of all of this the last five to eight years or so.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's really, I think, been amazing. I think the neglected asset problem is, you know, it used to be you'd walk around a data center with a clipboard. I don't know if you ever did that, but in my early days in the military, that was a thing you did. You just counted, and sometimes you're like, we don't know what that system is. Let's just unplug it and take it out, because at least you could find it.
0: Right, absolutely. I did spend some time in data centers and... You know, the clipboard thing you're talking about, the physical security aspect of it, that's Mm -hmm. all kind of a a distant memory, but a bit familiar. (laughs) And we hope it stays that way. (laughs) Yes.
1: So as you look at cloud security, what do you see as being the biggest bottleneck or barrier to improving the outcomes, both the security and the business outcomes for our, our companies?
0: Yeah, so if I think about this from a security perspective, and you look at it from a public cloud, SaaS kind of environment perspective, there are so many orgs right now where there's far too many people who have more access than they need in production environments. And so we're always looking for ways to understand, audit, and reduce all of those accesses, right? And mm-hmm. and this is super important for improving security posture because if you can't control or understand what kind of accesses people have, then you've got all sorts of problems like insider threat potential problems, right? Yep. As well as, you know, takeover or breach type of issues. But the reality is that we don't always have the best visibility. From an mm-hmm. IT, you know, shadowing type activity perspective, right? I wish we did have better solutions for that today, but yep. I think that's an area that's still evolving, and we need better tooling.
1: Yeah, I think definitely. There's, I think it's been a gap that's always been there. We're just, I think it's it's worse now, where you know, I think access control has been disconnected from what the business actually needs. And so we're always trying to sort of turn things off without understanding what people are doing. Yes. So, what have you seen? What do you think is the biggest surprise so far, or maybe opportunity for growth in the future that the cloud era has brought?
0: So, I think the cloud era has brought a more of a need to understand the applications, especially like the third party. Vendor tools and mm-hmm. applications that we deployed in our environment. Usually, we try to make sure that security teams have full visibility in those deployments. But the reality is that a lot of those deployments are done by teams that are outside of security, right? So we might not always know about it. But having ways to identify the activities around those tools and also being able to trace exactly what those tools are doing Mm -hmm. in terms of grabbing whatever data that they need is really important. I've tried to do this before manually, and it's a very painful process, right? If you try to figure out, okay, if this application is running the environment and it claims that it needs access to all of these other services, what do they mean by access, (laughs) <laughs> right? Is it like I'm going to make one call to a database to grab one entry from a table yep. in that database at a time? Or is it that I'm doing a bulk export of a whole bunch of records from that database? I don't think we have as good visibility into all that <laughs> as we'd like to have.
1: Yeah. Yeah, data store access is, I think, going to be a really interesting place to look at for the next you know, five years or so. But when you think about the opportunities and the hope for the future, what has the cloud security model brought? What security practice that gives you the most hope that things are going to get better?
0: So one of the things that I'm seeing increasingly is better orchestration and automation, Mm -hmm. right? And when I say that, I don't mean just from a security operations perspective. That's already been coming down the pipeline for years now when you find a security alert or incident, what is a good way to automatically remediate that? That's, that's one area. Mm-hmm. However, we have so much tooling as well in other areas of security, like for example, application security side of things, where we have automated scanning of code in the CICD pipeline. So if we look at it that way, what are we doing to consolidate all of those findings And also at the same time, automatically remediate those findings. That's a slightly different side of probably the same coin, right? It's all automated remediation. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to keep having to hire huge teams of people to remediate issues. Mm-hmm. We want to try to automate as much as possible so that we can have a lean team. And this is really important in a downturn kind of economy that we're seeing right now.
1: Yeah, you want to make sure that the people you have aren't doing work that is easily replicable, so they can do valuable work on top of that. Right. So let's take a little look back at your career. And I think you you mentioned early on, yeah, that starting in the federal sector with MITRE and MANTEC, and then I think you pivoted into the enterprise analytics space with MicroStrategy. So what was that pivot like as you're going from, you know security for the federal government or for the federal contractors to security for uh, yeah, an early B2B player?
0: Yeah, so one of the words that come to mind for that is mission, right? Yep. When you're part of a program in an environment where everyone has the same mission, and mm-hmm. there's very, very dedicated focus towards meeting that. I sometimes miss that. You get, I mean, it's not like commercial companies don't have missions. They do. It's just not quite as laser honed. If that makes sense. Yeah,
1: no, right? it definitely so, does. Having been in the air force, I can, I totally yeah. understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I think you, know, you went from being a security practitioner in you know normal companies, or so I don't know if we'd call those normal to working at a vendor, you know, you went to Splunk for a while and then GitLab. So what's that transition then like for you, sort of, sort of shifting your focus about how you're approaching security?
0: Yeah, so what I had been doing over the years is kind of shifting away from security product vendor side of yep. things only, right? Because I realized that security is a really, really hard sell. Splunk is bread and butter, not exactly security right yep. there's security offerings and security services however it's not exactly a security product not in the same way that AV vendors for example are right okay so looking at it that way when i went from splunk to gitlab it was GitLab was even less of a security product company. Yes, They built security features and security capabilities of which I was super happy to help contribute to from a CISO perspective, as in, mm-hmm. would I use this? Would I buy this? However, it's not the same thing as talking to customers constantly about, hey, we've detected this for you. What do you think? And then getting a response of, you know what, yeah, it's true you did, but I'm not sure I want to pay for that kind of detection though, right? So this is exactly what makes security such a hard sell. You could be accurate, you could be technically good, but what is that other factor that will make people want to spend money on Mm -hmm. the product? That's hard.
1: And then you started investing, like you know, as you at about the same time that you're winding up at GitLab, you started investing. And then you go to very good security. So what was going through your mind as you do that transition?
0: Yeah, so in about 2020 was when I started investing in early stage security startups. Yep. And the reason for that is because I once had a startup of my own back in 2008, 2009, around mm-hmm. that time frame, which was also a really bad time to get funding. <laughs> that was an awful time. <laughs> like, like um, People
1: now are complaining and I'm like, oh, you should just remember what it was like back then.
0: Right. Exactly. It's like, I remember what it was like back then. It was not fun. But I learned a lot in the process, which is probably the most important part of founding yep. a startup. And one of the areas that I really learned from was it isn't really good enough for your product to be technically accurate or good. That's almost like you know, you got to be this tall to ride the ride. <laughs> okay, so right. there you are. You're that tall. But then that doesn't mean you're going to sell, right? That's yeah. that's a different prospect. So since 2020, I've been helping companies with strategies, with figuring out like what it is that CISOs are looking for because for security product companies, that's often their primary audience, yep. right? And if it's not a CISO, it's going to be, infrastructure, engineering, or CTO, or CIO. So it's a somewhat related area. Yep. So um, I actually really enjoy doing that.
1: Yeah, I do too. So I, I love it. But I always love hearing from peers, Yeah, you know, what what gave them that same spark. And now you're at Discord, which sort of wraps everything you've done in your career sort of into one like, you know, major player B2C doing security where it really matters. But that transition feels like that's a very different one. From anything you've done. So, what's that really been like?
0: Yeah, so it definitely is very different because I went from primarily B2B to B2C. To B to and yep. that's, you know, different concerns, different set of concerns. I would say the compliance. Certification side is lighter for B2C. However, the privacy concerns side is heavier. So I work very closely with privacy teams to make sure that we're putting the right set of controls from a security perspective so that we don't have privacy-related incidents. But it's a fun transition. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's a huge communications platform. Definitely number one for Gen Z and growing the other age groups as well. And I think there's a lot left to do, right? If you look at all of the communications platforms out there, a lot of them are focused around B2B enterprise and not necessarily on the individual users. We're thinking about ways to make the space safer for our users, And to that end, I also work with the trust and safety team to make sure that security requirements are part of what's being built as well.
1: Yep. So a question, is trust and safety part of the security team or a peer to it?
0: At Discord, it's a separate group. Okay. Right. However, the VP of trust and safety and I are peers.
1: Yep. Okay. I'm always just curious to see how, how organizational structures play out. I actually think that's probably a better one so that one doesn't end up overwhelming the other one at the table.
0: Right. And security and safety are tangentially related, right? Yes. However, they're not exactly the same thing. Yep. So, yeah.
1: so that's been an amazing journey. Is there a sort of a particular moment in your career that is very impactful or memorable and sticks out for you? And, and what is it and why?
0: I mentioned earlier about the difficulty of selling security, right? I I feel like that's been a lesson that I've learned over the years that I'm sharing. The other side of it is getting peer reviews and also 360 reviews from people that report up to me on my team Mm -hmm. has been insightful as well. For example, one of the best feedback that I ever got from someone years ago was, Hey, I noticed that you are online all the time, and when I see that, I feel like I have to be online all the time. And I never even thought about that until that person gave me that feedback, and I really appreciated it because the last thing I want to do is make people feel like they're going to burn out, right? Yeah. So, after that, I made a much bigger effort to be careful about the appearance of being online. So, there's things you can do, like you can get messages set up to send on Monday and, and things like that. Yes. So I hadn't really thought about that until then. So that was a big lesson.
1: Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a good one. Is there a piece of advice you wish somebody had given you earlier in your career that maybe you could pass on to others?
0: So building security teams is not an easy thing to do, as you know. And we're always competing for talent with a whole bunch of other companies. So what can you do to like really differentiate yourself, right? So one of the things that I learned is you can actually go looking for talent outside of the normal pools of talent that people look for. Mm -hmm. And GitLab was really great for reinforcing that because Back when I was at GitLab in 2017, there weren't that many companies that were fully remote, right? This was well before the pandemic. And GitLab's method of hiring was to hire from 65 plus countries globally. And we literally hired people from all over the world. And it was so exciting to see, I don't want to say hidden talent, but it's like, how did we not think to look here for great yes. security talent before, right? I've always been based out of the U.S., so always looked for talent here in the D.C. area, in the Bay Area, New York, whatever. <laughs> you and just named
1: the three most expensive places. Exactly, entire. exactly,
0: right? And now it's like, holy cow, there's a ton of countries where there's yeah. great people, and that really opened my eyes to hiring practices.
1: Yeah. And there's a piece of that that's fascinating. Is a lot of companies start hiring in these countries as a way to reduce costs, right? They think of it as, oh, there's our low-cost center. And most companies don't create good career paths. So they may open up in Poland or India or Costa Rica, And there's not a career path for operators or engineers in those locations, you can create one for them as a security professional, and just show up and say, Oh, we're hiring out of our local pool. And so that person who's got two years of experience in the company and was about to leave, you just have to train them on the security specifics and move them to an adjacent job.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you want to retain talent, you have to give people career progression opportunities, right? And that starts at the junior levels and helping the juniors learn how to do better so they can become first-time managers and hire junior people and so on. Yep. But where a lot of people haven't really considered is what happens when you hire someone and then they grow in their career to the point where they're almost ready to be a CISO themselves. And that aspect of it, I find to be one of the most exciting parts of yes. being a CISO is when you're finally able to mentor someone to the point where they become a CISO themselves and they leave the company, which is sad, but you know also happy because they're finding another career path, right? Yeah. And elsewhere. I think we need to do more of that, the CISO community. I would yeah. love to see that.
1: And I I think that sometimes when we talk about we're competing for talent, I think it creates this mental shift that's not helpful for us. I don't think we're competing for talent. I think we're competing to be the best workplaces. And if you look at it that way, part of career progression with your staff is to talk to them about two jobs away. So as soon as somebody is you know a director of security in your organization you should be talking about a CISO gig with them and what it would take to get there and of course you're not talking about your own you're talking about they're going to have to leave the company to do it or maybe they might be the incumbent for you when you you know eventually depart but what i've found in my career is the more that you encourage people to look outside the company the less likely they are to leave because you're basically you're not saying oh i don't have any opportunity for you What you're saying is like, I have confidence in this team. I've built a place. that I don't have to hide opportunities from you. Like go look at the opportunities and you'll come back here. Maybe someday you'll leave, but you'll leave because you're happy and it's the right time for you. You're not leaving because I stifled you and you finally gave up and ran away.
0: Yeah, I could not agree more. And I think it's a lost opportunity if you haven't also in advance built that level of trust with your team so that people who are advancing their career feel like they can talk to you about other opportunities outside of the company, right? And that's the one place where I feel like not everyone has that. And I do strive to build that kind of relationship with people on my team because, you know, trust is like a two-way street, right? Like. They have to trust you you have to trust them it's not one way and so if you can build that two-way trust mechanism then they're much more likely to talk to you about these things
1: so let's talk a little about your personal point of view on some things so what opportunities for the the future mostly driven by technology what like excites you about the the future that's coming
0: yeah so i've always been a technologist at heart In college, I was an EE major working on hardware, and I was one of the people that worked on, you know, next-gen alpha chips, right? Back when alpha chips were the best on the market. (laughs) So that was a lot of fun. And since then, I've always been focused on technology. But if we're talking technology in general versus security technology, then we definitely have a lot of really exciting things coming in the future. Like, I would love to see widespread flying cars out there. Um, (laughs) Did you see
1: one of them? I think recently got, was it FAA approval? That's a a car that transitions. It's kind of cool.
0: I haven't seen that, but that's really cool. I'll
1: send, I'll send you the link on Discord soon.
0: Okay. Sounds great.
1: So what do you do to unwind? Like when you're not online all the time, because I hear that that is a problem for you, but how do you unwind?
0: Well, it depends on how much time I have to unwind, right? If it's like a a short time, I might catch up on TV shows or or movies, that sort of thing. If it's a bit longer, I might take a vacation and travel somewhere. Mm -hmm. I love to travel to places where I get to do things that I wouldn't be able to do at home. Okay right? so I'm not a person who would travel somewhere to go shopping right I'm a person who would travel somewhere to kind of push the boundaries a little bit like
1: What's the most recent one
0: Yeah so the most recent adventure travel that we did was we went to the Galapagos Ooh. and you know it's different It's a lot of wildlife. You really get to to watch and see how other you know animals and environments. What are they doing? And you also get to try new cuisine. Um, That's that's a big part of the experience that helps you to really unwind.
1: Mm -hmm. No, I love that. That's that's fantastic. And now, do you have a pearl of wisdom to leave our listeners with?
0: Yeah. So security is. I know we've all heard this, right? Security is a process. It's never one and done. However, I want to say that a security career, now that I've been in it for over 20 years, it's a marathon, right? Don't burn out. Don't try to do everything all at once. If you want to go in a certain direction, like if you want to become an advisor, if you want to invest in companies, figure that out if that's what you like to do and take four to five years to kind of work up to it. I mean, I wouldn't try to do it all in one year because I've seen people burn out and that's a really awful situation. And it's always such a shame if someone has to leave the industry and and go do something else. I'm always a bit sad when I see that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, Kathy, I got to say, I really appreciate the time you've taken today and all of these wonderful pearls of wisdom.
0: Thank you so much for having me again, Andy. Yeah.
1: So thank you, Kathy, for joining us today. And for our listeners, you can catch us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. I'm Andy Ellis for Cloud Security Reinvented.
0: Thank you for listening to Cloud Security Reinvented. Brought to you by Orca Security. With Orca, your vision is clear, your business is secure, and your cloud, well, it's yours. Orca Security, the cloud is yours. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, please consider leaving us a review
1: to help spread the word.